0: The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org.
1: Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with
0: Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is, what little
1: you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk doing it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk would be 120 yards away to call <laughs> anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time, only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations, so we usually go down some rabbit holes. But If you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record (laughs) everything, so there's no BSing, no lying, no faking
0: it with us. (laughs) (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the (laughs) record button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't podcast to listen to. Could <laughs> <laughs> we give them a list of all the other podcasts well, where they might learn something?
1: How are you doing, Corey? I am tired of winter. Oof. Just to be brutally honest with you, I'm, uh, I'm ready to see green grass.
0: Yeah, did you guys get 22 inches over the weekend like I did?
1: I, I quit measuring. We've got more snow in March than any other year. Like ski hills are just going crazy with how much snow. And it's usually spring skiing this time of year can be really good because, you know, snow gets soft as it melts. They're still getting powder. Like they're getting powder and it's increasing. Their base levels are increasing still at the end of March, 1st of April. Well, as a guy who... I'm going to show the the audience can't see
0: this, but I'm showing you my shark bite on my arm here. Yeah, that's impressive. And uh, I'm in this brace where my right hand is not supposed to bend or nothing, no nothing over five pounds. Well, March has brought so much snow that my wife thinks I intentionally. Messed up my arm <laughs> because I knew how much snow was coming in March. And she's been doing all the snow removal. I don't know what I'm going to pay for that, Corey, but I'm going to pay. You will pay. Yeah. So Saturday morning, I woke up and I looked and it was a complete whiteout. I'm like, uh oh. I can't even see how much snow we got. It's coming down so hard. Well, My wife, she uh, came and looked outside. She said, I'm going back to bed. I'm like, okay, I think that's code word for you should go do the snow even with your one good arm. Yep. So I did. Wow. And here's how stupid I am. About two weeks ago, I have two snowblowers. I have a little single-stage Honda Jobby, and then I have like a great big track one that looks like two snowmobiles mounted together. (laughs) Well... Before my, I bummed up my hand. I took the track one over to my shop. It's like, ah, eh, you know, any snow we get now, I can get with this small one. And well, I couldn't even get over to my shop to get that big one out of there. The drift blowing up against the door were like four feet high. I'm like, well, heck with that. I'm gonna have to use this little one. <sighs> so I ran. If you've ever tried to run a snowblower with one hand, right? You got to hold the latch so that the auger engages. Now I'm going to need surgery on my left shoulder (laughs) from pulling and pushing and pulling and pushing.
1: I couldn't even (sighs) imagine trying to run. That's a shoulder workout with two good arms. One arm, that's a...
0: Man. Yeah. Yeah. And then I get our driveway done and I'm blowing it up. So you know, you gotta point the blower nozzle at a certain angle to clear the snow bank now. <laughs> you know, if you get too close to the snow bank, you can't clear it. The snowbank's so high. So you get everything done, I come in the house, I'm like, man, I need a cup of coffee. And I hear Bruh! here comes the neighborhood snow plow guy. And what does he do at the end of my driveway?
1: <laughs> Leaves you a big berm. Yeah, he leaves me a berm big
0: enough I can't even get my truck through it. So I'm back out there. (laughs) But this has, like, chunks in it, so my auger is in this little... So I did it by hand. And my neighbor, Michael, sees me out there, so... I'm, I got the shovel, I'm pushing it with my left hand and then I, I can't use, so my right hand, they make me sling it when I'm doing stuff. So I'm not tempted to use it. So I'm in a (laughs) sling. So I take my right boot underneath the, the, the snow shovel and I (laughs) kick kick it up (laughs) and I kick it up in there and I push it forward at the same time. I got the whole end of my driveway cleared out like that, but it took me a long time. So I had, I, I had all the neighbors walking by like, you, you, you going to do, you okay? you, you going to do this? I'm like, yeah, trust me. My marriage probably depends on it. My wife is in the house and she she's standing in
1: the, standing in the front window with a cup of coffee, just watching you. Uh,
0: I don't know what she was doing, but when I came in the house, she said, what were you doing? I'm like, I cleaned out all the snow. Oh my goodness. Here's me, blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> The snow broke for a little bit Saturday afternoon. And then we got another, I don't know, 10 inches probably Sunday. And she's out there. I must have made her feel bad the the
1: first day I did it. But we're supposed to get five more inches tonight. We've been getting snow all day long today. I was supposed to fly this morning to go look for elk. And the pilot said, "Uh, we're not going anywhere today. Yeah, it's... And the next three days, he's looking at it going, I don't think we're going to get up this week. Like, there's not a break in the weather forecast.
0: Yeah, we're supposed to get three to five inches of snow every day from, well, today's Tuesday through Saturday morning. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, I don't know how these critters
1: are living in this. It's got to be tough, especially on the deer. The the elk, I think, are pretty hardy and they can withstand it. But man, I've, and a lot of the deer that I've seen have been wolf kills. The area I've been looking in uh, all winter, there's more mule deer than elk there, but I've only found one dead elk, and that's the only elk I've actually seen but man the mule deer are just getting hammered by the wolves not to mention you know what they're going to be putting up with over the next 2 or 3 weeks here without much good feed and dwindling yeah. reserves and
0: yeah i if we lose any elk it's mostly going to be i think the old of the old and yeah. the, and probably some maybe some calves that were born late and weren't able to get enough feed mm-hmm. enough fat on before yeah. the winter but yeah. I've, <laughs> yeah. Everybody in town is still skiing. Yeah. You know. Turkey season opens in Montana in two weeks.
1: As, As does bear season in Idaho. I guarantee you the bear yeah, the bears are gonna be laying in their dens and they're gonna poke their nose out and be like, Huh, my clock must be off. I'm going back in for another <laughs> month or two." <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: I I, I mean, I, in Bozeman right now, it's like there's no place to put the snow. Yeah. You know, every street, <laughs> you could drive through these residential streets, and there are cars that got plowed in <laughs> when, the, when the plow did come by. Like, there's one guy over here not too far from my office building. They must have hit a chunk of ice or something that took out his driver's side window. No. And, I mean, it's like, I know, how do you take care of that problem? Yeah. I guess, guess you wait till summer and you call your insurance company and say, hey. <laughs> uh, no, it's crazy. But I guess all the fishermen I'm talking to are like, boy, we'll have good water flow this summer. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. It doesn't,
1: doesn't flood you out in Washington, That's, you know. And I just keep waiting because... The longer we get into April, the more chance of a sudden warm-up and all of this snow coming off at once. If it if it started gradually warming up now, it could be a phenomenal snowpack and runoff. But, man, yeah. we saw some of the flooding last year on a light winter that can yeah. occur when it gets warm fast. With this much snow and the, the moisture content in the ground that we have because of the moisture we've received, it could be a mess. Yeah. Anyhow,
0: I don't know what the heck that has to do with elk hunting or elk talking (laughs) or whatever this podcast is about. But we did get some questions from the audience asking us what, you know, kind of what's the state of condition of the animals with the winters they've been hearing about. And, I think we kind of covered that. If if this was antelope talk podcast, (laughs) we'd be saying don't even bother. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you look at Wyoming, their proposals for deer, for pronghorn especially. So, pronghorn numbers are already about half of what they were 15 or 20 years ago in Wyoming. And now they're cutting tags, and a lot of units are cutting them 40 to 50% again. Wow. But, you know, a pronghorn at the back is only about, what, maybe 35? Yeah, I was going to say three feet. Yeah. And when you got eight feet of snow... You know, he, he he and she ain't gonna
1: pan out very well. No. <laughs> so. Even walking around on their back legs, they aren't gonna be able to see over the snowdrifts. So, yeah. So we we got a
0: we we've been doing some research here at our office, and I, I'd be curious to know what Idaho does <clears throat> in bad winters like this. Wyoming, right now they're they're doing the public meetings they do every year here's our proposals what do you think blah 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 and for elk there's only two units that they're decreasing elk tags and it's by a very small number most units they're they're like come here and shoot more cow elk (laughs) i mean i can't believe the increases in cow elk numbers that wyoming is proposing now yeah their their deer and pronghorn are going into crapper this year so You look at Colorado, Colorado just announced yesterday that up in the Craig Meeker area, they're cutting deer tags by 40%. Wow. Since it's all over-the-counter elk hunting for the most part, uh, I don't know how you can cut those tags. Uh, How? Montana, we statutorily, by law, have to give 17,000 elk tags to non-residents. So regardless of
1: how bad the winter is. <laughs> yeah. So
0: if, if you wonder why we don't want our legislatures involved in game management, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks cannot adjust numbers even if they wanted to, unless it's a limited entry unit.
1: That's managing by politics and not science. (laughs) And that's, man, that's not where we want to be going.
0: No. So in Montana, your odds of drawing are going to be just as good as they ever were, because we are not cutting tags.
1: (laughs) We might have have half the number of deer next year that we had, but we'll bring in the same number of hunters.
0: Yeah. If you're coming to Montana deer hunting in 2023... Don't say you weren't warned. It's, <laughs> I, I bought a deer tag already as my sportsman's license. I think I'm just going to keep it at home. It's like, you know what, these poor things. Yeah. Uh, but it gets to my point of, in Idaho, are you guys going through like a season setting process or a quota type process? Or
1: nope. No, we don't just, do it either. And, we don't do it either. And they, uh, you know, legislature uh, recently introduced a bill and it's making making its way through to set shed hunting seasons to protect wintering wildlife, um, yeah. which we could go on a rabbit hole on that, that it won't work. I sent him a long letter explaining why shed seasons don't work to protect animals because a thousand shed hunters turn into bird watchers and coyote hunters overnight. And they're welcome to go out there and chase the animals around. But, um, you know, it, it again, okay. what they're doing is giving the fishing game uh, the authority to be able to set a shed season if it's needed okay. to, to protect wintering big games. So, you know, when, when the legislative branch gets involved in that way and proposes things where they give fish and game tools and authority to be able to do things, that's great that's the way it should be working but when it comes the other way and the the legislators are the ones who are setting and demanding shed seasons and setting the dates for it and you know like you said setting the minimum number of tags that have to be sold every year that's not that's not biology (laughs) that's not science no but here's the good news of a lot of this
0: moisture Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico that had been in, well, probably 30-year droughts, but the last four years, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 were like really, really bad droughts. They got really good moisture in 2022. This winter, they're getting excellent moisture. So those states do adjust tag numbers a lot. I mean, every year they're yeah. up and down based on, and they're more moisture uh, sensitive in their numbers. We're more like cold and snow sensitive. But you give Nevada, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, maybe another two years of good moisture. Yeah. And history has said that Arizona and Nevada, particularly, will raise their numbers. Uh, so I'm hoping we get that moisture and I hope that their numbers rebound enough that they can get back to where they were. Uh, cause you know, yeah. it's kind of weird. We, we sound like farmers, right? The weather never, <laughs> no matter what the weather is, it's bad.
1: Yep. <laughs> so, too hot, too dry, too much snow.
0: <laughs> so I'm, uh, my point was I wanted to put a little bright spots out there that there are some agencies unlike Montana and, and Idaho, that go to every species for every district every year and they adjust up and down or maybe they keep it the same but they it's a conscious decision to keep it the same yeah based on what they want for a harvest so uh some states do that some don't uh I'm not
1: sure in Idaho, they I mean they manage, they do a a good job with the limited funding they have, but I think they fly every three years. So, you know, they'll fly for elk in a region one year and then they won't fly that region again for three years. So every three years they're doing counts to to see where the objective is compared to what the actual population is. And then if something's needed, they can adjust it. So it's not a and every year they aren't reacting to a hard winter. Um, it might be delayed by a couple of years before they do anything. And by then it's too late and so nothing usually yeah. gets done anyway.
0: All right, folks, application season's pretty much over and I hope you have that tag in your pocket. Corey and I use GoHunt's Insider and GoHunt Store, all the GoHunt tools for a lot of things in what we call planning and research season. And this summer we're going to be out there doing that e-scouting with the terrain analysis tool. We're going to be buying stuff out of that world-class gear shop. The one stop for hunters is GoHunt.com. If you are like us, you have that day, you got this hunt you got a plan for, go out to GoHunt.com, use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do that, they're going to put $50 of credit in your gear shop. GoHunt.com, promo code ELKTALK, and know that this is the one stop that you need as a hunter.
1: The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order.
0: Because you guys publish your regulations in two-year cycles, right? Yeah, Yep. I download your booklet, it's good for two years? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> well, people think we're picking on them, it's just... No. When you, when you have demand on a resource, and you have all these other factors of habitat, encroachment, development weather, disease, drought, noxious and invasive weeds, (laughs) predators, you know, we might have been able to get by with that in 1976, but it's it's harder and harder. Yeah. In 2023, it's a little harder to say, well, that's how we've always done it. Yeah. Now we're going to get a bunch of emails from those two agencies saying, hey, why are you picking on us? <laughs> we're not picking on you. We're just saying this is how it's working in each state. Yep. And uh, I admire those states that go through that work and go through that effort every year. And we might complain about the years that, oh, can you believe they cut tags? You know what? They have to. Yep. They, they, they really are doing the right thing. And when they bump tags and increase tags, we should be there giving them the pat on the back when they do that also.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's our job. That That is what hunting is used for, is managing. And if they have a tough winter, then we're going to have to give up some opportunity. That's that's yeah. our job. That's, you know, we we say we don't need to, to be involved in the management of it. Hunting really doesn't have a need that is going to be sustainable out there. And so... We've gotta we've gotta be okay. And it, you know, I think as long as they're using science and they're doing counts and everything, if we have to if they come back and say, Hey, our deer population in this region, you know, the mortality on the on the fawns is sixty percent this year, you look at what that's gonna do in three years, it's yeah. gonna be a, a big, big deal. And if they don't do something right then, you know, if they do something, then it's going to smooth things out over the next three to five years a little better. But just letting yeah. nature manage itself and us carrying on as if nothing happened—it's uh, that's that's as big of a disaster as letting nature manage nature. Yeah, man, I ended up in a really crazy debate on that
0: topic last week. Oh, did you? Yeah, I got sucked into one of those. Wow. You know, Mother Nature will take care of herself. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. If all of us would just pack up and leave the continent, restore it back to how it was before Columbus hit, you know, shores in 1492. And you know what? Yeah, it worked back then. Nope. But when you move all the elk and deer and pronghorn and everything else to the very margins of what their traditional habitat is, and you make them crossroads and highways and, you know, new reservoirs and you disrupt their migration corridors and you do everything else where they really don't have a natural path to follow. They don't have the escapement. They don't have all the other things they evolved with. And then you say, well, we're going to throw a bunch of, you know, whatever it is, I don't care you can say Uh, wolves (laughs) wolves you know and say we're not going to manage that part of it yeah you know everything will have its nice easy natural cycle no it won't
1: that that is just that is a fantasy land yeah yeah let the elk migrate out into the plains like they used to where they can use their eyes and see a wolf coming from three miles away and stay out of its way and yeah nature might be okay managing nature but there's subdivisions and cities in those areas now, and the elk are forced, like you said, onto the very margins of that winter ground. So not not only are they not getting the feed they need, they're up in snow. They aren't able. They don't have near as much room to roam. They're basically trapped in a drainage. And now a right. pack of wolves comes in there and runs them until they die or kills them, it causes them to stress and and abort fetuses. And now our you know the it just, everything com- is compacted there and it's due to human encroachment human. where right. Mother Nature is not Mother mm-hmm. Nature. She's she's on hospice. I mean, she's in a wheelchair and she doesn't get to get out and see what she needs <laughs> to be seeing and take care of things like she did before. So we have to help her.
0: Yeah, Mother Nature is on hospice. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but that is where w- this person and I agreed. We said, you know... There's just too much human encroachment yeah. for. not and I don't know if we said too much. It, it, I think we. It was kind of agreed upon that the impacts of humans are significant and having uh, an impact beyond what we we can really address. Yeah. And when the person said, "Well, we just have too many people in this country." I replied, Are you volunteering? <laughs> yeah. are, are you
1: the first volunteer? <laughs> I'll pay your freight. What does too many people mean? Does that mean we have yeah. to eliminate some? I mean, what are we doing? we're there. I, we can't we I, can't go backwards. No, I, I implied I'd buy the person a plane ticket
0: to leave, but Really? So You didn't yeah. come right out and say it though? I didn't. I, <laughs> I, You know, there's the old saying, give a fool enough rope and they'll hang themselves. Yeah. Uh, it just, I don't know why. I must have really been bored that day. But it was someone who has a pretty large following. And I'm like, this is BS. This is just BS, okay? I, I get it. I don't want to get rid of all the wolves. I want them managed, okay? And... and I I know it is. It doesn't fit the popular narrative. The popular narrative is it oh, Everybody gets along. With, you know the elk and the and the deer and the and the pronghorn. They all go to the wolf or the coyote and say, "Hey, now here's here's two of us you can eat today." But you got to be good about it. and You got to be quick about it. And don't waste any of it. And then come talk to us next week, and we'll see what. What we so got? We'll to get offer. you two
1: more. Yeah,
0: yeah. but just eat, that, that, just
1: eat what you need.
0: <laughs> yeah, that—that's kind of the implied narrative, right? And i i am more into this idea of showing the ugliness, if you want to call it that, by human standards. But the reality of what a natural world is never has been this comfortable place. And then you take humans and i'm i raise my hand as i'm one of the contributors to it i'm here i've got a house i drive a vehicle i demand resources i'm i'm as guilty as everybody else but you can't deny when you have that collective amount of humanity putting pressure on resources on space on habitat on you know just the quiet and serenity that these animals need you can't deny that it's a broken equation no yeah. and We'll never get the equation back to how it was before, you know, settlement, but we have a responsibility to do the things we need to do that help that process. And that's what we call conservation, you know. Yep. Whether it's the funding, the advocacy, the, you know, the habitat improvement, the prescriptive fire, the, you know, how we... The hunting. Yeah, <laughs> hunting. How we adjust season types, how we set seasons and management of the the predator side of the equation. Yep. And I, I know people want to just focus on that predator side of the equation. We're all, you know, we can all be guilty of it. But it's a necessary part. And, yep. Very few people I talk to are like, kill them all. Occasionally, I hear people say that, and then I get in arguments with them. I'm like, you know how
1: stupid <laughs> that sounds? You know, listen, I would love to have no wolves. That, that would be ideal. But the reality is, that's never going to happen again. I mean, that, they're here. They are not—we have to manage them, and we can manage them to a reasonable amount, hopefully— But as badly as I want to kill them all, that's just, it's not the reality. And so to sit there and say that, I mean, first off, how are you going to kill them all? There's no way we can. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So that's not even a valid argument to have in the first place. Yes, we're disappointed that we have them. Yes, we recognize the, the effects they're having. But start with killing one. You know, don't don't say yeah. kill them all, it's, and it's usually the people who say kill them all who haven't lifted a finger to actually do anything to to help manage them.
0: Yeah, that's isn't that the funny part? You know, you go down to the coffee shop or whatever, and Uncle Pusgut is there with his big belly <laughs> hanging over, over his knees, and he's like, "Yeah, them damn wolves." And I always ask him, I'm like, "Well, have you been out hunting them?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I can't tell you how much of my time I spent trying to get wolves delisted through the whole when the whole congressional thing was going on in 2009-10-11. It was like what I lived and breathed for yep. 3 years. And then we get delisting in Montana and Idaho through the congressional action. And now, you can't get, we got all the tools. We can trap them, we can hunt them year round. Yeah, what's your what's your quota? <clears throat> you guys can get what ten or twenty in Idaho per person. Uh, I,
1: I think they eliminated the the quota. Uh, yeah. I think it's fifteen trapping and fifteen hunting tags, and
0: yeah, and we can get five in Montana. And how many people of these big old bouncing belly fellers <laughs> go out and actually do anything about it? So yep when when people say you know. Uh, uh, i i bef- i'm gonna calm down here <laughs> when someone starts complaining about wolves i hope they ask themselves well what am i doing about it yeah because uh, i know you hunt wolves a lot cory a lot i haven't the, the last couple of years i haven't got out and done it i used to do it a lot and uh you're not going to hear me complain about them if I'm not out there hunting them and trapping them. Yep. You know,
1: I, I I'm not, I complain uh, about ahead. what I find, you know, I see all these dead deer and it's like, this is, man, this is horrible. I, I was here before wolves where I saw what winter kill was like. I saw, you know, we found dead deer, we found dead elk. What we're seeing now is, especially on a heavy winter like this, where the deer are concentrated, the elk are still up high enough that they aren't coming down into the bottoms all the way, but the deer are. They're just sitting ducks there. I mean, we're finding yeah. there was one day that there were six fresh dead mule deer does in a three-mile stretch along the road that the wolves had killed overnight. And, yeah, I mean, a pack of wolves, it doesn't take them but an hour or two to, to eat the substantial amount of flesh that's on a carcass there. And yeah. it's not like it's going to waste <laughs> in the winter. But that's a lot of mouths to feed and a limited resource there. And so I get upset when I see that. And it's like, man, these things are hammering the deer. They're hammering the elk. We need to do something about it while I'm out trying to do something about it. And it gets frustrating because they are the hardest animal I've ever hunted.
0: (laughs) That's why Uncle Posca isn't out there. Yeah. Because it's a lot of work. I. I tell people that if I hunted elk as, as hard and <laughs> as many days as it takes me to get one encounter on a wolf, I'd fill four elk tags oh, with easy, that amount of effort. Easily. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but for me, having hunted them a lot and having trapped a lot, I do have a ton of respect for them. I yeah. mean, people don't have to like them or whatever, but I tell people... They're a cool animal. That when you think about going and tackling this six hundred pound bull elk with just your teeth, I, I ain't in on that. I'm going to become a vegetarian before I'm doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's you know I, I posted a picture on Instagram of of a wolf I shot a couple of weeks ago, and the teeth. I mean, when you take them in, you have to they have to tag the pelt, and then they take yeah. they extract a tooth out of it to get it aged. And I've done that with mountain lions. I've done it with bears, and it's a little tool. They pop it once, twist it, and the tooth comes out. It takes 15 minutes of digging and twisting and breaking off teeth for them to get a wolf tooth to come out. And that just shows you what they're made for. I mean, those teeth yeah. are made to not come out. When they lock into a 600-pound animal's hind quarter and hold on, a tooth's yeah. not going to break. It's, no. it's there to, to do damage.
0: Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at OutdoorClass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to OutdoorClass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson. Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barclow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code Talk and save 20%. Yeah, so that's one side of the equation. And this is the other part of the equation, because tonight I'm going to my local RMEF chapter meeting, is what are we doing for habitat. And I know some people think that conservation and habitat is like this nebulous, you know, fuzzy thing. We just use the term because it's cool. <laughs> but, you know, there's logging and thinning treatments, there's prescribed burns, there's the spraying of noxious weeds, there's, uh, you know, all kinds of things that make the landscape more productive for wildlife. And none of that is easy, and none of that is inexpensive. Yeah. None of it's cheap. Well,
1: look how, many so, members, look how many members the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has, and what percentage of those members who are dedicated enough to, to send a check in and to be a member, what's the percentage of actual volunteers who go out in the field and do some of that habitat work?
0: Yeah. It's a fraction. A, yeah, they've got eleven thousand volunteers, eleven to twelve thousand actual volunteers, uh, and they've got two hundred. It bounces probably two hundred thirty yeah. or forty thousand members. So, 5%. one out of every yeah one out of every twenty members is an active volunteer, and and I get it. You know, I, I understand. I, I go to our committee and I'm just blown away by how much time and effort these folks put into this. And they're already busy people. It, it, it reproves the statement that I learned back in college. If you want to get something done, ask the busiest person in town. Yep. <laughs> the, these folks who volunteer for our committee, I, you know, they've they're got businesses, they've got families, they've, but they're still getting it done. And so I, I'm just so struck by what remarkable people they are. And I'm just, you know, our little committee here in, in the Gallatin Valley of, you know, we've got about 20 of us, 25 of us, but you replicate that in all these other places. And so that's, that's the other part of this that I, I, I would like to encourage people to think about what are you doing? Okay. I kind of ridiculed my uncle Puscott for not going out and hunting wolves. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> am i am i gonna get in trouble for using that term that's the term my dad used to use anytime he saw some and my dad had a big beer belly because my dad drank a lot of beer so anytime he saw somebody bigger than him
1: he, that guy's a puss you know, i've never uncle heard Puscat. that before but it i was uh almost in tears laughing the first time you said it <laughs> really <laughs> uncle puss Yeah, that,
0: yeah. it comes off my tongue like you know, and button four. you know, it's like just part of the vernacular where I grew up. So when I saw you just about <laughs> fall out of that chair, I'm like, uh-oh, I threw one out there. I might get in trouble for But <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I, I was kind of making fun of that part of it. And there's some sincerity to, to the message I'm trying to get across is on the predator side, we got to be doing our part there. But one thing we know, all the science has proven is that the better the habitat the more resilient the herds are and this is deer elk pronghorn whatever the more resilient they will be to predation to the effects of winter the more abundance there will be for hunting all those things are a function of the habitat side so we got two pieces we can can put you know put our effort into and i hope people are doing that that's
1: that's all I'm. I guess. Well, and I, I think the way to look at it is, if you are a hunter, you are going out and taking from the resource. You're yep. you're taking something. Mm-hmm. What are you giving back? Yep. You know, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're a hunter, just ask yourself the question: What are you doing to give back? And that can be as broad and as wide ranging as you want it to be. But if you need ideas. Volunteer for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and do something to, you know, pull down old fence. Go out and plant bitter brush. You know, they, they have projects in your area. I guarantee you can find something to do to improve habitat. If you're in a state that allows for predator hunting, go out and spend some time hunting predators. Whether it's coyotes, whether it's wolves, whether it's mountain lions, you know, whatever it is they have an effect on elk and by managing them you're giving back to the to the ecosystem i mean whether yeah. it's like I said habitat predator management there's a lot of other things and you know i think being a member of the rocky mountain elk foundation or some of these organizations is a great start and yeah. everybody should be doing that but you spending you know your 35 for a membership probably isn't a fair equation for what you're taking when you go out and hunt for elk and deer yeah and uh
0: i just looked on the rmef website they just updated the project calendar for march there's a project in oregon one in virginia washington St Helens, Mount St. Helens, Washington, Oregon, Oregon, Missouri, Washington, Washington, South Dakota, Oregon, Oregon, Montana, Utah, Idaho, Oregon, Washington. and that's just the updated ones. Yeah, there's a there's an ongoing list there that and they're, they're a ton of fun. Me and, and our crew, we've went out and done quite a few of these fence poles and other stuff. And they're just a lot of fun. I <laughs> It's a heck of a lot better
1: than sitting at the office doing a tax return or
0: something. <laughs> uh, Sit, sitting in the
1: office or sitting at home complaining about something, just go out and feel yeah. good about it. Go out and do something that's positive and, and impactful and makes you feel like, Hey, I did yeah. something today and, and what I did is going to make a difference. Yeah. So, for me, the, uh, and this is, so people are
0: probably wondering, where does this come from? Well, <laughs> we got, I don't know how many emails we've gotten in the last two weeks. It's crazy. Uh, and thank you all for doing that. But a lot of them were on these issues of abundance of elk and competition for tags or uh, competition for opportunity. And people get tired of me saying it, but if you want to increase the odds of drawing a tag by 50%, put fifty percent more elk up on that mountain.
1: Yeah. Or <laughs> or we could get rid of fifty percent of the hunters. Is that a I mean, is that well, a yeah. a positive effect? That's <laughs> that, that's the that's
0: the route some would want to go. Yeah. By. You you and I have had this discussion, Corey, that you and I are abundance thinkers, not scarcity thinkers. So we view how can you solve the problem? How can you create more how can you feel like, you know, this is better tomorrow than it was today compared to the scarcity thinkers who would say just what you said. Well, let's get rid of all the hunters or half the hunters. You know, oh, well. Yep. And so those of us who've studied those abundance and scarcity mindset things, you know that the abundance thinker, and the scarcity thinker will look at the same problem, same facts, same everything, and come to two different conclusions about what are the causes
1: and what are the solutions. Yep. So. Drastically different solutions. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like to well. the effect of let's get rid of half of the hunters or let's add 50% more elk. I mean, that's two different ways. And you look at the the net effect of both. You get rid of fifty percent of hunters, your voice just got cut in half. And when yep. it comes time for somebody to stand up to stop something that we don't agree with, now you don't have half the voice, you know. It's yep. and so you put fifty percent more elk on the mountain. That's more opportunity, and now you also have a, a bigger army standing next to you, protecting something that you love. Yeah. So uh, this is another
0: the a little. I don't, I don't want to call these debates exchanges <laughs> that I got into. Uh, someone was saying that, you know, public access is getting harder and harder and harder. And and I agree. You know, we're losing a lot of our private hunting lands. They're withdrawing from, like, your state program of Access Yes. Same program Wyoming has, Access Yes. Montana's block management. So it crowds us more and more on to... Uh, the, the remaining public land. So, uh, here, if I told you that we could come up with an idea that would Im- give us access to four million acres with one little state legislative action, I, you think I could get much support for that?
1: Well, I mean, hearing you talk about it, I would hope you could, but knowing the uh, the reality of history, probably not. Yeah. So uh, the
0: here, here's what it is. Uh, Colorado, and, and I, I said 4 million, I, I'll say 3 million. I, there's almost 3 million acres of state trust lands in Colorado, those little blue sections on mm-hmm. your map. And in Colorado, hunters cannot hunt on those state trust lands. Whereas in your state, in Idaho, Corey, you guys have the best state trust land rules in the West, hands down, by a mile. Yep. You guys have always been able to hunt those lands, as far as I know. Yeah. There's never been access issues. So, in 1993, this is going to age me a little bit, the very first legislative session I went to... I'd been in Montana two years, and I'm like, well, I know it's tax season, but I didn't take this huge pay cut to lose access or to have less places to hunt, and there's a bunch of these guys who came up with the idea that we should pay a $5 fee to have access to our 5 million acres of state trust land. Well, the state land board trustees got presented with that proposal of, well, five dollars for every uh, (laughs) times 150 that's that's a you know with non-residents that's over a million dollars of revenue which in 1993 you know that would pay a few teachers yeah you know that that buy a few school buses and so through one act of of legislation and there's still some hard feelings about this uh some people will never forgive but we as the hunters got access to the 5.4 million acres of state trust land in Montana. We used to be like Colorado, verbatim. The lessee controlled the access. Through one bill, all of a sudden, 5.4 million acres became available to Montana hunters. If Colorado could pass that bill and offer to pay the same some amount they're trustees of their school system because in the West all the state land
1: boards they manage that land for the school systems we're and talking almost are all states mandated to make a profit make, uh, yes manage the land for the most profitable purpose outcome. yes yep
0: yes of those state lands yep. so if I lived in Colorado And if you live in Colorado, you call me or email me, and I will show you the roadmap we used in Montana. And you guys should have access to that three three or whatever million acres of state trust land in Colorado. Yeah. So
1: the person is like, well, I don't know if we could do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why not? Uh, <laughs> they, they can introduce wolves into the state. If they can do that through <laughs> legislative action, why can't you access 3 million acres? Right. And, you know, in Montana, it's a
0: recreation access stamp. So we're talking anglers, hunters, hikers, you know, and it's, it, it is non-motorized access. Okay. You you can't just go, you know, ride your ATV off into the middle of nowhere or a mountain bike or whatever. But you add all those people together now that pay that stamp in Montana, and it's a significant chunk of money. And here's what it did to those trustees. If you're a trustee of the school funding system, how are you going to tell the, the, the general public that, oh, we don't need that money. Our schools have so much money. We, we don't need that money. <laughs> yeah. So, it's going to be hard anyhow, to argue a, that one. I I bring that up because I, I want people to understand that there are still places and ways that we can be working on access. Yeah. And there is some really good state land in Colorado that when I drive by it, I'm like, if I lived here... Uh, I'd I'd be camped down at the Capitol until we got access to this little section over here that all these big mule deer, all these elk are living on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's anyhow. That's the other point of access. You know, it's part of conservation. It's part of the things we do. But you you look at any of our states. There's probably things we can be doing that. Aren't as big of a lift as it might seem, especially if we engage our state-based, you know, hunter angler groups. Yep. And we can make a difference. Now, I, when people think that that wasn't that big a deal, I say, okay, in Montana, let's just take 5.4 million acres out of the public access domain, and tell me that isn't a big deal.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. How many <laughs> how many million acres of public access is there in the entire in Montana- state?
0: In the entire state of Montana, it's pushing 40 million acres if you count that state land.
1: So, state land, that's BLM, that's federal, that's everything.
0: Oh, yeah, that that 40 million includes state trust land,
1: BLM, Forest Service, everything. So, you take 12% of current access away just in one one swoop there. Gone. Now you're sharing the same number of people coming there and you think it's crowded now. Get rid of twelve percent and see where those people end up. And yeah on the flip side, add that twelve percent somewhere and imagine the drainages you get to go into without hearing another bugle from another hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So and what would
0: it cost at a thousand dollars per acre to go and buy three million acres you got to change that million to a billion
1: i was gonna say there's a lot of zeros there that i'm not good with <laughs> yeah so uh,
0: there's things like this that we can be doing collectively as hunters and you know i i look at the benefit i had in 1993 when i showed up there there are some true what I called giants of conservation in Montana that gave us the stream access law that were the leaders of this one I'm talking about. And I show up there and I I am so green. Corey, I thought I was going to pee my pants when I got up to the podium. <laughs> so I, it was all I could do to hardly even say my name, say I live in Bozeman and I'm here in support of whatever the bill, what number was, uh, but afterwards, these guys, and this is where it got me, it really dawned on me how generational and how forward-thinking this group of guys were. I'm talking Jim Pozewitz, Tony Schoonen, Jack Atchison Sr. There, there's a whole cadre of them that if you live in Montana, they're like, uh, if we had a Mount Rushmore of, <laughs> of people, they'd be on there. And they all came, and they were so excited to see a new face there. And when you hear their stories, they didn't say, oh, we're doing this so that we've got our own little private hunting ground. They they said, we're doing this because someone before us did something similar. And we want to do something and make it better. Because our days, you know, our days of hunting and fishing, they're they're pretty short, but we're willing to do this. And we want to do this for the next and the next and the next. And so it, it just struck me how altruistic how forward thinking their view was about it wasn't about them it was about seeing me as this 29 year old punk in the back who had a you know three-year-old kid that to them they said this is why we do this stuff and they pointed to me and it's even though that was whatever that'd be 30 years ago it seems like it was just 30 minutes ago. It's still so fresh in my mind. But this whole advocacy thing, I know people don't want to get involved in politics. I know you don't want to be involved in this or involved in that, and neither do I. Ah, Trust me, <laughs> Corey, you and I have better things to do than for you to have just written that letter
1: that you were talking about that you wrote to your, your legislators. Yeah. Well, and then and it's not just writing the letter then you start getting the phone calls from them saying hey explain this to me and you know <laughs> so pretty yep. soon you're you're invested in it in all you can do and like you said it's time consuming but all it takes sometimes is just somebody speaking out with a little bit of rational thinking with some experience behind it with maybe a, a better idea an idea that solves the actual problem without, you know, giving up something or or providing a a disadvantage and they say, well, yeah, that solves our problem. I just, we proposed this because that was the first thing that came to mind, but yeah, that's a great idea. We're going to, we're going to go with that. One person can absolutely sway somebody's decision to change a bill or completely get rid of a bill and you know there's a lot of smart people out there that are opportunity and and you know think in surplus and think about the future and are conservation minded that you don't have to have a platform or a podcast or a website or a youtube channel you just need to have an idea that makes sense and you can get people to listen oh yeah so if any Colorado folks are listening,
0: uh, I hope that they do what we did in Montana 30 years ago because it, it's just to me is ridiculous that there's you know I I should look up the true numbers I thought it was more than three million but say it's three million acres of inaccessible state lands in Colorado would Coloradans pay ten extra bucks a year? to have access to that?
1: Would non-residents pay 25 or $35 to be <laughs> able to have up. access to that when they come out? Start doing the math on how many hunters come out there and and would have to pay for that. And think about how many little one-room schoolhouses you could build. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm sure somebody's going to say, Newberg, you don't understand. Things are different in Colorado than they are in Montana. You know what? I get it. They are different, yeah. But I'm here to tell you there is a solution to that. And you start knocking out chunks of of access to the tune of a million here and three million there, you're making a huge difference. Oh yeah. And uh, I now i you know all the Montana guys they're going to be gee Newberg I knew you were old I didn't know you were that old <laughs> but uh, you want to know the funny part of that was uh, some of our CPA clients laughed or mad over that. Really? They were leasing, they were leasing the uh, state. Ah, yeah. And they had exclusive access to it. Yep. I, I, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? Yep. So. Uh, well, it just goes back it, to for, that, fortunately it Fortunately, was, it wasn't many of them. It was yeah. just a couple. You know, like in a, every
1: large population, there's a few cranky people. Yep. So. No matter, what you, no matter what you do, you're going to lose a friend when you pick a side. And, you know, if you pick the right side and you do it because you know it's right, well, maybe yeah. they weren't really friends to begin with. Yeah. Well, I don't know what that has to do with outcunning,
0: other than there's a lot of really great everything. help around that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> and the other part, why I want people to have access to their state lands is I don't want them to become like Nevada where their politicians sold 99% of their state lands. Yeah. Well, the for, state of Idaho
1: has been sued for not living up to that mandate of doing what makes the most profit off of the land, forcing them to sell land. Like, they had to come up with a plan because somebody, some developer somewhere said, hey, what about this? You know, this land isn't making any money, so let's come up with a plan to, to, to subdivide this, to sell it off, to develop it, because you've got to be making a profit on it. And now, all of a sudden, you see public land that is going to be privatized because they're mandated to to make that. Right. Well, and if we're paying
0: more towards it, it lessens that argument that those exactly. folks just, just use to to get that done. But yep. anyhow, we got we got any elk hunting tips for today? I'm, I'm you can tell my mind has been stuck in politics now that the Montana Legislature's in session. Yeah, I uh, the, the amount of emails and phone calls and text messages <laughs> I get this time here, it's just like, ah, no, I'd rather go out and be the one-armed snowblower. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> i need to talk to your wife and have her get a picture or a video clip of you out there with one arm pushing that snow blower around and oh I, i'm sure some of the neighbors
0: probably have that video clip in fact if it snows nine inches tonight i'm going to do a video about how to be a one-arm snow <laughs> shovel operator it worked it actually works really good if you have the right shovel you, you got to have one of those shovels with like the little curly Q handle yeah. to it. And it's got to be plastic because you don't need any additional weight, like a metal yeah. shovel blade. But uh, the downside is my snow banks are getting so high, I can't hardly kick it over the <laughs> snow bank anymore. You're going
1: to tear but. your rotator cuff in your other shoulder, and
0: <laughs> then you're going to be all sorts of messed up. Oh, man. Don't tell me that, Corey. But I've been going to PT. <laughs> Uh, I, got, I went to PT yesterday and she said, you know what, you are so far ahead of where most people are at this point. You should go do that Alaska bear hunt in May." Really? I'm like, eh, obviously you're not married <laughs> because you, if you were married, you would have called my wife first and said, should I say this to him?" <laughs> So I came home, my wife's like, man, you're pretty happy today. I'm like, yep, PT just told me I can go to Alaska.
1: I'm not, going. Not told you you can go. It's doctor's orders. You have to go. Exactly. Yeah. So
0: And, you know, I thought I was going to have to shoot left-handed. She said, as good as you're doing with your dexterity and the strength you're showing in your in your arm right now, yeah, you can probably shoot right-handed. Just wear this brace so it stays good and firm. Just tell her, I've been out shoveling snow to build my arm
1: muscles.
0: (laughs) I did tell her that. I said, you know, you might be working on my left shoulder here because over the weekend, I just about wore it out shoveling snow with one hand. And... Now, I kind of wish I was like uh, the ball joint on your vehicle. You know, you need a grease or where you can just plug a grease gun on there. Because yep. it, it's it got a little crooks and pops and tweaks and sounds like a rusty door hinge or something. But, <laughs> uh, 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 well. So what what
1: kind of El Cotton advice are you going to give people today, Corey? Man, I don't know. Where are we at well, today? We're first part of April, so, I mean, shed season is is uh, hopefully getting underway here. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, we're, uh, I keep looking at all my aerial maps, uh, real-time aerial maps. I'm like, the snow line is so much lower this year. Not only that, but just so few faces are, are exposed. But yeah. what that means is there's going to be more moisture in more places longer, and that's going to create good feed. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've always said in heavy winters, elk are going to move with the snow line and with the feed. So those cows are yep. down as low as they can get right now where there's good feed. And typically by now the bulls have left their winter range and they've, they're moving back up the mountain following the little shoots of green grass that this year are not coming up yet. I mean, there is just no green grass coming up anywhere, even down in the low winter grounds. So what that's going to do is it's going to hold the cows down closer to calving season, lower elevation. And once they have their calves, they're probably not going to migrate all the way back up to their normal, traditional summer grounds uh, Mm -hmm. with those calves. So that means that they're going to be probably a little lower in elevation this fall when the bulls come looking for them to uh, start the rut. So sometimes huh. if you're hunting, you know, at 6,500, 7,000 feet and you're used to find an elk there, they might be at 5,500 or 5,800 feet in elevation this year. And you go into that drainage where they're always bugling and it's crickets and they haven't even been there. That's uh, mm. something I always pay attention to is these longer, heavier, late winters can affect where the rut takes place uh, maybe this year more than than years past dang i never thought about that yeah Hmm. well i mean you always you're the one that taught me you know you got to find the feed if you want to find the cows and Hmm. uh they're uh i've I've just noticed when they have their calves they usually don't move a whole lot once those calves are born and you know you take a four week old calf and migrate it Twelve miles up into a new drainage. There's a lot of risk there for that calf staying alive, and keeping it close to where it was born keeps it alive a little bit longer. So, yeah. Well, I I cover some of this stuff in
0: my outdoor class that I did on rifle elk hunting, but I didn't get to that point. I, I it never dawned on me until I just listened to you say that. I I talk about how in a lot of the country, mostly like. New Mexico, Arizona, maybe Nevada, where it's not all alpine elk. Yeah. The elk, based on moisture, disperse horizontally. So you get a really wet winter like they've had. And if it continues, compare that to a really dry year like they've had in 2020 or 2021 the areas of greenness of forage they're seeking are very very small so you'll in those places you'll find elk in highly concentrated areas but they won't be using a lot of areas on the landscape the amount of water that exists concentrates them because it's scarce and the amount of green forage that exists is scarce so you have Maybe you take the same number of elk, but they're concentrated into smaller areas. And so when you do find them, yeah, there's a lot of them. Well, you get wet years like this, and now there's free water in a lot more places. There are grass and greenness all across the landscape. So now the entire landscape becomes available habitat to them. Yeah. So you're not going to see big groups of elk in a really moist year like this. But you're probably not going to have to work as hard to find where they're at because they're more like polka dots across the landscape instead
1: of just one big blob. So, yeah. uh, no, as you like you said, that herd of sixty cows that you see on a, a really dry year is now just, you know twelve herds of five cows in twelve different yep. locations, and yep. you know, and again to stress what you said. These are in areas that are not necessarily alpine elk. So more desert, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, most of Arizona, Nevada, a lot of Nevada, Utah, southern Utah especially. Yeah. And then it, it's eastern almost, Montana. yeah, eastern Montana on the plains. When, uh, when you look at the, the alpine elk, the mountain elk, it's almost the reverse. Now they're going to be more concentrated because those cows aren't able to disperse into their normal summer range so now the, instead of being 12 different groups of 5 cows all 60 cows have their calves right there together and then don't disperse as far so when the bulls come down all the bulls end up in one area cuz all the cows are there and you know it turns into chaos for a little bit so not only will they not be at the elevation they might be at might have been at last year now you're going to have to work a little harder to find the pocket that they're in and once you find them it, it should be really good yeah, and again, these are general concepts yeah. because because
0: you, <laughs> you give a general concept or a trend or a, a general notion of behavior, someone will say, "Well, that's not what I saw." No, we get that. Yeah, we're just talking about these general trends. So when I'm sitting there using my terrain analysis tool for the Elcon, I already have. Uh, I'm going to be taking all this into account.
1: Yeah,
0: because I. Locked out. So okay. I drew an Arizona rifle out tag, a late rifle out tag. And I here's my Again? strategy. Well, I haven't drawn since 2017. So But
1: it doesn't seem my, like that long ago to, to have an Arizona tag.
0: I know, but here's here's the thing, right? I have my loyalty point and I have my hunter ed point. So I don't go back to zero. I start out at two once I draw. And then they give you two choices. So, I always make my first choice something. The odds of that are so slim. But you never know. You know, some year I'm going to get one of those lucky random numbers and maybe I'll get my first choice. I'm trying to remember if I've ever drawn my first choice in Arizona. (laughs) I don't know that I have. Uh, But then you get a second choice. And my second choice, some people will say, oh, that's a crappy hunt. You don't want that. You don't want this. And so I'll make my second choice you know, something that's 15%, and as I build more and more points, it gets closer to 30%. So if one of my choices has 30% odds, I figure every five or six years I should draw. Yep. And, yeah, I'm not applying, trust me. I, this, this this is not, not a right. rifle run. <laughs> no, but I'm elk hunting. Yep, in Arizona. El- in Arizona. So that's kind of my strategy and my approach to it. And, and I get it that some people say, look, if I'm going to spend the time to go to Arizona, I want an early rifle or an early muzzle loader or I want this archery tag. I get it. If that's what you want. I just want to go. I'm an old man in a hurry. You know, I, yep. I want to go. So uh, I've already, been, I can't tell you how many waypoints I have marked done my terrain <laughs> analysis. To. It, it's pitiful. Uh, but I've been spending a lot of time and I'm taking into account <laughs> So, uh, Brady Miller out at Gohan, I don't know if you saw the recent article he did about the value of moisture maps and drought maps and snow tail maps. Anyone who hasn't seen that needs to go and see it. And I've got them all bookmarked. And it's a crazy amount of moisture that Arizona is getting. Really? Yeah. I'm like, okay, this creates some benefits because it's going to have all this feed for all these elk in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, it's a big arc. It, it stretches through Nevada, Arizona. Well, I think the whole Rockies probably. and uh, But it does create some challenges about the fact that now the elk could live anywhere on that landscape. It's yep. like, huh, there's going to be so much feed. There's no place that they don't have as quote-unquote usable habitat. So I'm going to have to be way more mobile to, to find these, you know, the bull that I'm looking for. Whereas before, it's like, okay, I know, you know, what I said earlier, how they get condensed in drier years.
1: So, so it's changing my approach. With that, I mean, with, with feed being abundant and spread out, is finding feed your primary, is it, is it their primary need now? What's no, their primary need that I, time of year?
0: Yeah, I'll be there the first week of uh, December. And uh, the primary need is sanctuary because, it, you know, they're trying to survive hunting seasons. Which
1: isn't but, normal for a bull elk to, you know, the first week of December. Usually we'd be preaching feed, feed, feed.
0: Right. Because when you, when you find the feed, you find the cows, and the bulls are looking for the cows. So, yep. But. Yeah, so I'll be looking, all my waypoints are sanctuaries. But in some, in drier years, not all sanctuaries are equal, right? They they still got to water a little bit. And they're looking for those nasty spots that are still going to have a little bit of feed. So maybe there's a canyon with a little corner that to it where that corner didn't get dried out in the dry summer. It's still a little more lush. Okay, those are the pockets I look for in a dry year. Now is a well. Every tank is full of water. Every little bottom has water. There's going to be grass growing everywhere. These things could be anywhere.
1: Yep. So you just have to find the the best sanctuary. Mm -hmm. which is usually going to be the worst
0: terrain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. These are the places where a couple of the guys I've talked to are like, Oh, you don't want to go in there. And (laughs) for me, that's code word to, Oh, don't go in there. I hunt there or code word for I've seen an elk in there and you don't want to pack it out of there. Yeah, But you know what? I'm driving 1300 miles. I don't care where that elk is. I'll, yeah. I got two strong camera guys and a
1: couple llamas. I'll get that thing out of there. There you go. And so. it's it's all relative. Yeah, Arizona has some nasty terrain. There's no doubt. Oh, yeah. But we aren't talking, you know, Frank Church wilderness type stuff down there. It's, you know, no. it's, it's manageable. Right. So, anyhow, that's just,
0: I, I throw that out there as it's kind of a sequence of how my season gets planned out. You know. It'll probably be another six years again before I draw Arizona, and that's fine. Yeah. Well, not really. I'd like to draw next year, too, yeah. but I know the, that's not going to happen, but hey. Uh, but then here are the things that, as we're e-scouting and using the tools that we've worked with to, to build out there at GoHunt, this is how year-round you're bringing in information. You're processing it, and it's affecting how you're doing your planning and your research. Yep. So take that for what little it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not even worth what they paid to listen to this podcast,
1: Corey. Well, it's approaching. It's it's really close. There's a good okay. balance there between the value and the cost. So, All right. <laughs> wow. Well, and if they want to
0: see me do, see how I do it on a map, I did it in my outdoor class, but... There you got to pay. And they might say, you know what, Randy, you're you, you, I want my money back, pal. That wasn't worth it. So,
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I think for what so, they get for a, a membership outdoor class, you know, even if they're going there specifically for what you're talking about, I think it's worth that. But then all the other stuff they get, is uh, that's a bonus. And you're talking yeah. about, you know, we started the podcast talking about the winter and Wyoming cutting the antelope tags uh i heard rumor that there's an antelope module coming out uh, on outdoor class and you might know something yep. about it yeah i i did an
0: outdoor class course on pronghorn hunting uh we, I started scripting it about two years ago. We filmed it last August, and they've been editing and doing all their pretty little graphics <laughs> and all kinds of other stuff that I, editors do that I don't know how to do. Uh, yeah, it releases uh, uh, Monday, April what's that fourth or something? Like third, that, I can't remember. Yeah. third. Is that a, okay? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and then uh, someday we got to have Barlow on here. I know we've had Barker on before, but I just did a podcast with him because his course on uh, backcountry mission planning just dropped uh, also out on an outdoor class. And I had him on my Hunt Talk radio podcast, and we went through each chapter. And it's like, whoa. (laughs) 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 There's a lot of stuff here, John. This is like, you could have made this like three courses? Yeah. And... and, uh, But your name did come up on that podcast. Uh -uh. Uh, Yeah, we were talking about certain things about comfort and safety and how you can get yourself in situations where you now realize that, hey, my safety level might not be as good as I normally like to be comfortable. And it was in reference to uh, an Alaska uh, <laughs> elk hunt. So anyhow, we we didn't mean to rat you out, but John thought it made for a good example in one of the topics he was talking about in the podcast. So, Absolutely, uh, we we should have him on this one because John's a fanatic elk hunter, and a lot of the stuff that he talks about in that course are real gems. For and I don't care if you're a backcountry hunter. Or if you're, you know, as they now call it, front range hunter, Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that he talks about are just super helpful. So, but and your university courses out there. So the pronghorn courses there, and John's course, and
1: your late season Remy's mule deer course. There's a couple cooking courses. So yeah, it's it continues to grow and become even more valuable for the same price. Plus, yeah. if you listen to this podcast, you may not get any value from the content here, but Randy and I have a handful of promo codes that are uh, valid mm-hmm. in different places, and one of them is for outdoor class. So if you use the promo code Talk, it saves you 20 bucks when you sign up for that and you get access to all of those courses.
0: Yeah, and if you want to have access to all those e-scouting tools we were talking about, draw odds and all the other crazy stuff that you know go hunt insider uh, they'll put 50 dollars a credit in their gear shop if you sign up using elk talk yep what else we got an elk talk
1: promo code for uh mountain ops yeah, mountain ops yeah, yeah. Mountain Ops. i know they've got a they they accept elk talk promo code and uh, yeah. i don't know if there's We we probably should take a look we should at
0: see it. <laughs> yeah we we just assume that everybody would honor out talk as a discount uh if they don't let us know folks we'll get on them wait we i'm i'm a cpa and i'm a type wad i don't pay full retail for anything so yeah. that that motto of don't pay full retail has extended into my life as this you know podcast or video guy if If I can't find a promo code, I don't feel like I'm doing my audience, you know,
1: fair shake. Well, when you go out and do a search on Google for promo code for this or that, you end up with all these spam sites that make you open seven coupons and you find out that the code doesn't work anyway. (laughs) If we tell you a code works here, you've got a a better (laughs) 50-50 chance that it's going to be valid
0: better than 50 yeah. 50 is that like 60
1: 60 60 it might 70, be 51 49 but <laughs> oh <laughs> it's probably right. more the lack of us knowing where all the code actually does work than actually being valid so yeah well let's work on a few more of those for people no
0: so uh what else we got it's too much snow in my archery range well between my bum hand and my archery range being under five feet of snow, I haven't been shooting my bow. Have you well, been shooting yours? I have, but it's
1: uh, at 17 yards inside the office here, so <laughs> I haven't I haven't extended the uh, the sight yet. It's one pin, and it's uh, more to keep my arm in shape. So, <clears throat> yeah, people don't know that
0: you and I. We just record the audio for the audience, but. We can see each other because we do it on a video call. (laughs) Uh, But I saw a UPS man come in behind you and drop a package off on your floor there. Yeah. And... I saw him when he came in. He kind of looked both ways like he was <laughs> checking to make sure an
1: arrow wasn't coming downrange when he walked in there. Yeah, I always <laughs> shoot from the front door to the back of the building just to make sure nobody's coming into the line of fire. <laughs> right. Oh, Now we've wow. got a big, uh, a big warehouse bay on the adjacent side of our office here. So it's 17 yards long, and it's probably gosh i don't know 16 feet wide so you got a good good little archery range with a hmm. big target in there and it's good you know and during the summer the nice thing is it's a lot cooler in here so we can have the target in the back of the bay and then we just go out in the parking lot and shoot into the bay and can stretch it out 40 or 50 yards and go out in the sun and then come in and cool off for a minute uh-huh. <clears throat> I hope your liability carrier wasn't (laughs) listening to that part. Uh, There's no liability in that. Okay, as you see,
0: we see the UPS guy driving around with an arrow through his forearm or something. Oh, you must have been delivering to Corey uh, and Tyler in those we're, guys. We're rural enough here that uh,
1: the amount of traffic that goes by on a day when we're shooting our bow is pretty much zero. And if somebody does drive by, usually they stop and okay. want to shoot their bow. Well, we're out shooting too, so.
0: Yeah, I. My biggest temptation when I'm shooting my bow is my neighbors have chickens. <laughs> and they come strolling by when I'm out in my archery range, and all I can think of is, boy, that's just about like a grouse. I wonder I was if I could
1: just gonna say,
0: yeah, <laughs> uh, but I haven't, I haven't shot one of them yet. I don't think Karen and Myron would really care if I did. My dog <laughs> ate one of their chickens one time, and uh, yeah, they're wonderful people. One time, uh, their their daughter and son in law lived the other side of me, and the chickens were in my yard and I stepped in a big wad of chicken poop and I was cussing. Cause you know, I got chicken poop on my shoe and I got to get to work and I chased the chickens out and their daughter and son-in-law must've heard me because the next day I get a bang on my door and here's Karen with three dozen eggs. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> What's this for? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. I think I could connect the dots of what was going on there. Yep. But, uh, yeah, if, if you're in my neighborhood and you got chickens, trust me, someday the temptation is going to be more than I could bear.
1: I can't believe that you've, you've maintained it this long because I see what goes on in your eyes and your head when you see a grouse. And if mm-hmm. a chicken was just the right color, I don't know if you could overcome that natural yeah. instinctual uh, reaction to chase it. Right. Start quivering and twitching and all kinds of stuff.
0: But I, so far they've been safe. But if you read about the Bozeman newspaper, you know some guy shot his neighbor's chicken with a bow. Uh, it just you know kind of like trying to tell your dog not to go and fetch the, the duck
1: or something. You know. And just, well, the good yeah. news is I've I see what you you know the way that your mind registers when you see a grouse. But I've also yeah. seen you're shooting proficiency when you shoot at a grouse. So you may, the I mean, your neighbors safety. may be okay. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> chicken may get shot at, but it might survive yeah. a few days.
0: Yeah, I know. I I get whatever you want to call well, it. I was going to
1: say, what do you call it? Chicken, chicken panic,
0: chicken fever? Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm, I'm coming to your home state, Idaho, this year, and I'm going to shoot as many limits of, Prairie or of a uh, forest chickens as I can find. I so, hope you do. I'm going to try, yep. unless I draw some tag that disrupts me from that. So, <laughs>
1: I don't you think know, anything <laughs> will disrupt you from grouse hunting.
0: No, that, but what's going to disrupt me is RMEF. The sweepstakes winner. We're going to be in Kentucky starting September 30th. Yeah. I don't think they have grouse in Kentucky, but I bet really? you the elk are puking. Yeah. I mean can could if you could pick a better time to be in the woods with a rifle September 30th to October 4th man
1: I mean especially in a, much- a place like Kentucky or Pennsylvania or somewhere back there where oh yeah. man yeah don't don't be setting the expectations
0: too high Corey because if I go back there and I flub it up and I can't find an elk I'm going to you know this guy Mike he sounds like <laughs> a great guy he's counting on me <laughs> That's good. He can count press- on you. The pressure's on. I I was going to offer. Well, I don't think Corey's doing anything the first week of October. He'll come and call for us. No, that's but, our uh, uh, wow. that's
1: our our week for our outfitters for hope hunts. So oh well, I am already, already on the that, calendar too. there. Yeah, no, can't miss that. So. Which if anybody listening hasn't had a chance, we just released uh our the video for the hunt from last year, which it is you've gotta watch it. So it's on the Elk One oh one YouTube channel. Uh, it's called A Mile in My Shoes and it's the hunt with Nico from last year. And uh cool. it's it's I'll phenomenal. Yeah. I'll have to go watch that. But uh what else we got? We got Utah coming up April twenty seventh. Yep. If we haven't already scared people off from applying there, the yeah, deadline no. is April 27th. and Yeah. Well, they're going to be moving a
0: bunch of the rifle tags to the late season. Yeah. And then they're going to have that late spot and stock archery season in December. So that might be Some an changes. opportunity for, yep. for somebody to snag a tag that they otherwise wouldn't have got. Yep. And, uh, And then, let's see, after that, we got, um, what's, Oregon, oh yeah, Nevada, Oregon, Oregon. Oregon's May 15th, I applied in Oregon this year, did you really, yeah, I, my son is like, hey dad, you know, we still, you, you still got a point for some of these things, if you would apply again, you'd have a second point, and he's got some hopped up idea of where we can go with llamas. I don't know. In the, Oregon? The guy, <laughs> in Oregon. The guy ain't right. You know? Uh, so, uh, yeah, what's well, Nevada this year is May 10th? May 10th. I May like mean, Nevada, though, because
1: they turn it around within eight days. Yeah. I don't know, we know. why the rest of the states can't uh, do that. We know why they can't do it. Well, we know why they don't do it. Yeah. We just don't know why they. they yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, if Nevada can turn around in eight days, Idaho turns it around in three to four weeks. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's not terrible. But Montana, at-
0: they, we do it in like two weeks. But then the problem in Montana, we get ourselves in a hurry and we issue more tags than <laughs> what the quota was supposed to be. Like one, one year, everybody who applied in this pretty high demand unit got a tag or it said you, you drew. Yeah. And they're like, oh, now what do we do? Yeah. Well, they gave a bunch of extra people tags. Like last year, it's the same thing. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, hmm. Hmm. I I don't know why this is so hard in Montana, but we have not had a draw in the last four
1: years that was according to what the regulations were. So that just, uh, you just may have slipped out an application strategy for Montana. Yeah. Pick the, hard, pick the hardest unit to draw and just apply for it. Mm-hmm. And they might just accidentally issue you. I'm not going to yeah. lie. My, my first two tags in Arizona, mm-hmm. which I've drawn it twice, I've drawn archery rut tags. First time took four points and the next time took three points. And mm-hmm. the reason why for both of them was mistakes were made. No and, way. Yeah. The first time was when, the uh, U S outfitters sued the state of Arizona for uh-huh. discrimination of non-residents And the state had no choice but to issue an equal number of tags to residents and non-residents, and they'd already issued the tags. So say they gave out 5,000 tags to residents and 200 to non-residents, well, they had to make up the difference and issue all those tags. So in that second part, I ended up drawing a tag. And then the next time that I drew in Arizona was uh, three years later. And it was the year that a very large uh, tag application service didn't recognize Uh, the deadline and didn't turn in tens of thousands of applications on time. And so there was a massive reduction in the number of applicants that year due to that mistake. And I drew that year also. Yeah.
0: I didn't draw that year that that company made that big mistake. But this is going back a ways. Uh, When I heard that Arizona might honor their applications, I hired an attorney. Really? said, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hired an attorney and said, look, all the rest of us read the instructions that this is where you mail your application. Why penalize us? Yeah. For, you know. So uh, I got a call from their commission chairman. Thing. Don't worry, we're not—we're—we're not, we're, we're, we're not going to give. They're all going to lose their loyalty point, and we're not going to give them a point. Okay, cool.
1: So, Let them take it up with the uh, with the person who made the mistake, not us.
0: And the, yeah, and then the year that they got sued by USO, United States Outfitters. Yep, I drew that year also. That was drew 2005.
1: Early, yep, I drew the early rifle tag in unit ten. Yep, and so. I drew the uh, early archery tag, the red archery tag in unit one. Thanks. <laughs> hmm. uh,
0: yeah. I thought I thought it was clean living. Now you're telling me that it yeah. was because of a lawsuit. It?
1: Because of yeah. errors on other people's parts. So what I'm saying is maybe use that as an application strategy and just count on the state of Montana making a mistake, and you just might get awarded hmm. a tag even though you didn't deserve it. <laughs> well,
0: I would bet if you could go to Vegas and and place a bet of whether or not there will be some mistakes in the Montana draw. <laughs> they, they would say, look, if you bet $100, we'll pay you 101 That's how good the odds are that they're that the history says something's going to be messed up. But yeah. Did you see uh, March 22nd was supposed to be the deadline in New Mexico? But they had a server crash, so
1: they extended it by another day. Uh how many times has uh, that happened for multiple every, states?
0: Yeah. It's like hello hi, you know. You well know, yep. yeah, happens all the time. <laughs> So, But don't count on that as kind yeah, yeah. of your, your way to get an extended deadline. But I appreciate that Montana has been turning it around quicker. I just wish they'd stick to however many tags got approved. Yeah, You know, a plus or minus 50% really isn't, you know, helping things out a little bit <laughs> yeah. here.
1: That's not how we use the management tool of, of awarding tags and hunting. Yeah. So, oh, well. Other than that, the last state we got, Corey, is your home state of Idaho. Yep. June 5th. I think June 5th. I haven't looked to make sure, but that's always the date unless it falls on a Saturday or a Sunday
0: or something. Yeah. Well, I got to figure out what I'm doing in Idaho. You guys have never given me a controlled permit.
1: Yeah. We're pretty stingy
0: with them. Yeah. 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 I got to buy this $180 non-resident license
1: to apply. Yeah. And then you get no more than 10%. You don't even have a set aside of 10%. It's just oh. if you draw, then, yeah, you get the tag Unless less. It's over 10%. but you're- So let's do the math
0: on that in Idaho. I've, I'm now, let's see, over 25 years into this. Let's say an average of $150 per license. Plus tag fees, application fees, and then you charge us that goofy transaction fee. I bet you I'm 180 yeah. bucks a year into it at least, average times yeah.
1: 25. Ooh, bad! Don't do that. Randy. If I was to guess, 5,000, five thousand, fifty-five hundred, something there. I don't. Know. Yeah, that's a calculator I here. I don't know so what much. it is, but
0: yeah, if I would have earned a little return on it, yeah. Not uh, 4,500, that's not that bad. My donation. 20, 25 years, 4,500, you, yeah. I mean. It's my donation to the cause, I guess, you know? Yep. I, there's a lot of states where I make those kind of donations. That's it. Uh, you know? <laughs> I guess I could spend it on something else, like golf balls what? or, you know, tea
1: time um, or, th- be nothing wrong with that there's just a lot worse things you could be spending it on too so
0: yeah oh trust me there's a lot worse yeah.
1: things so uh
0: i could you know not i mean any money i don't spend on hunting or hunting gear is mostly a waste unless it's totally. unless it's on my <laughs> wife oh you know the other the last <laughs> podcast you bailed me out remember i Did I, I? I told you that matson's labs when they heard about my arm, yeah. they sent some flowers to my house, and I came home on a Friday. Uh-huh. And my wife was really had that look about her, like, "Uh huh." And uh so, who are these from? Yeah. Why? Why? Is- yeah, and they were for me. Yeah. Flowers for Randy. <clears throat> yeah. So, as quick as we got done recording that podcast, I just about broke the speed limit heading down to the florist here. And I came home with yellow roses, her favorite. Man, that's probably how I got
1: relieved from snow shoveling duty. Yeah, it wasn't. She didn't feel sorry for your arm. uh, You won her over with the flowers. There you go. So... Yeah. I can't believe you didn't. I mean, of all the marital advice you I, give I, out and everything for me to have to give you marital advice no, on, I was, hey, you got these flowers and she knew they were for you and she was bummed about that. And you didn't even think to go buy her flowers. That's, yeah, man, I'm glad I was there for you. I had your back.
0: And, and uh, you know, usually I'm a little more astute than that. I, I really felt low down. Felt yeah. Like, boy i'm slipping bad uh so any of you young guys who uh don't believe in the flower gig try it and we don't have we don't have a promo code at florist.com or anything (laughs) 1-800 flowers yeah whatever it is but there's a young guy whose name shall be protected for the innocent uh I said, you know, one day you had to get that gal some flowers. Oh, she doesn't want flowers. I'm like, look, I'll make, I'll make you a deal. I'll pay for the flowers and have them delivered to her office in front of all the other people in the office. And you call me on, I do this on Friday afternoon, just after lunch, and you call me on Monday and tell me whether or not I got to reimburse She you. likes flowers. Yeah. <laughs> and if it didn't work out, I'll reimburse you for them on Monday. So I talked to him on Monday. I'm like, uh, what do I owe you for them flowers? Nothing. All right. No. I might be old hey. and I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. He He should probably owe you for the counseling there.
0: Yeah. You know, I should start charging for my marriage advice, but... Nah, I don't know about that. <laughs>
1: I, I Every know. once in a while, you, you come <laughs> up with some good stuff, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, I think we're good just giving away this free advice okay. and letting people know that they get what they pay for. <laughs> It'd it. probably safer to do it that way. You're right. Yeah. Okay. It's not a liability otherwise.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you imagine if someone sued you for their divorce? No. Oh, cow. That would be bad. Yeah. Uh, more of the story. Don't just
1: don't get divorced. Yeah, right. right. How long have you been married, Corey? Uh, I've been married. It'll be twenty-two years in June. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, you got a pretty good start on it then. Yeah,
0: and you're what thirty? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. It was Thirty-four in February. You know, three days after my anniversary, I tipped over and fell through the shower door there.
1: Uh, <laughs> at least you made it through your anniversary could you imagine if that would have happened the day before and your wife had to sit in a hospital room feeling sorry for you on her anniversary yeah i would have just told her hey call your boyfriend
0: he'll fill in for today (laughs) good thing she doesn't Um, listen to this podcast
1: my wife does so i got in trouble I, I, I can't give marital that. advice anymore. You know, yeah, you, that's, see, that's that's a problem.
0: Jennifer listens. Kim is like, Bro, man, he's so full of it. But yeah.
1: um, just, I think Jennifer just doesn't trust me, so she listens <laughs> to make sure I'm not saying anything that I shouldn't. <laughs> ah, ah,
0: ah. So, well, I'll I'll just tell you this: you got about another five or six years of her still caring about what comes out your mouth,
1: <laughs> and then after that, it's just a roll of the eyes, like whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Hold on. So she's. It, it isn't normal that she's been rolling her eyes the last ten years. Oh no, they do that
0: too. Okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, they they
1: uh, they just quit caring about what you say. Yeah. Uh, I know. I I know. I find a good dad joke if I can get her to even smirk because usually she doesn't even give it a reaction. I like, that's, <laughs> that's dumb. I'm like, well, the last ten <laughs> people I've told have laughed at it. And she's like, they feel sorry for you. They're laughing yeah. out of it's not because it's funny. Courtesy laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So. I, well, Corey, I, we've spent an hour and 30 minutes, and we've hardly talked about anything related to
1: elk hunting. That's not true. Everything we've talked about has been directly related indirectly to elk hunting. Really? Okay. Yep. Directly, okay. indirectly. Okay. I'll I'll buy that. Yeah. So. There, there were even a couple nuggets in there. If they listened closely, there were a few things that might even tip success in their favor this fall.
0: Let's hope so. I, yeah. I'd,
1: I'd like for everybody to
0: have success this fall. But I hope that, that in Montana, we cannot have really high success rates because we sell 180,000 elk tags, and there are only about 35,000 bull elk running around here. So, yeah. Let's hope well, we do <laughs> This year there may be less running around. <laughs> oh, there will be after the season we had last year and then the winter. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. But, oh, well. Hey, you know, I think I got to go. I, I got a call Check. from the sporting goods store that I got another firearm. I got to pick up. So what? Yeah, good for you. I know. I've got three safes here. There's a group called Steelhead Safes. If you need yeah. a good good gun safe, Steelhead Outdoors in Minnesota, they make these modular safes. So I got three of them: one for ammo and two for for firearms, mm-hmm. and. There was another slot in there. I'm like, <laughs> well, man, there's still another slot in there for another firearm. So I better, I better, you know, I I, I didn't buy this safe capacity just to let it collect dust. So
1: I, so I see uh, what you did. You bought your wife flowers and then you went and ordered <laughs> a firearm.
0: <laughs> Dang it. It's that obvious. Oh, man. Uh, Does she
1: catch on to that?
0: Well, as long as it doesn't come out of her money or the household yeah. money, she doesn't even ask anymore all right well, as long as say, you
1: be careful you you walk in with a dozen roses, and then the next day you show up with a rifle, she's gonna catch on
0: well, at least I'm not dumb enough to say, "Honey, I bought a rifle for you well, that's true <laughs> you know that that's like that that's like marriage that that's something you do in your first year of marriage. If you do that in your second, third, or beyond that year of marriage, you probably have a short life expectancy in terms of how long this marriage is going to last. That so, is true. But no, I I got to get down there because by the time they do the background check on me and everything, I'm uh, I don't know what how long it's going to take, but I'm pretty excited today. I you know, very cool. Yeah, I, and I okay. People probably wonder how many, have you ever heard anyone ask, this is like the dumbest question, but if your (laughs) wife asks it, don't give this answer. But if your buddy or the neighbor or your brother says, well, how many do you need? That's grounds for like kicking them right in the knee. Yeah. You never question a guy and say, how many firearms do you need? Yeah. The answer is yes.
1: Every single one I've shot they all have a custom purpose. Yeah. Like it's, and there's still voids in that in, to be filled in those purposes, so. Yeah, I,
0: you know, my, my grand, great-grandfather, Issa, left Finland in 1913 because he is going to get conscripted into the Russian army. And so he came to northern Minnesota and he could not believe that you could own firearms. <laughs> Like as many as you wanted. And so his oldest daughter, my grandma, Ethel, she's, you know, I'm the oldest grandson. So I kind of am supposed to be the keeper of all the family things. And, uh, one day I'm like, grandma, what's the deal with like your wedding picture, your 25th anniversary picture, every picture you guys have, there's firearms on the wall. <laughs> So, she goes into this long family story about her dad having to leave Finland and blah, blah, blah. And she said, when he came to America, he said he will never again be a peacefully disarmed citizen. And so, he just collected firearms. So, I come by it naturally. Naturally. and. Much like Grandpa Isa, I am never going to be peacefully disarmed. And if they think they took enough of them, they have no idea how many of them I have and how many places I have them. Uh, That's great. And look at what I'm I'm doing. And I'm donating to conservation today, Corey. Yep, you sure are. There's an 11% excise tax going to be charged on the manufacturer of that rifle.
1: That goes right to conservation of wildlife.
0: Yeah, and then I'm gonna, you know, who knows what else I'm gonna buy. That but...
1: so you can't you can't go in and pick up a rifle and not buy something else. I mean, you at no. least have to buy a box of ammo or targets and yeah, yep, all the all the other gun stuff. case. I mean, you have to have a gun case for when you oh, take yeah. it out of the safe.
0: Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I'm, if I ever ran for political office, you know, I think it was Calvin Coolidge ran under the promise of a chicken in every pot, is what he called it. (laughs) For me, it's a gun in every safe. Yep. And I know some people will be like, Newberg, you're off your rock, man. And maybe I am. But the guy who has the most firearms sleeps the best. Yep. And when you get my age you need
1: all the sleep you can get. <laughs> so every year for your birthday you just need a new gun that helps you sleep better. My my birthday? Well, that, I mean Father's at the minimum.
0: Day? Yeah, Father's yeah. Day, you know, Tuesday, you know, <laughs> Valentine's <laughs> oh, Day, Memorial most Day. Most of the days
1: work. the end in y. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, nah, I, I I'm sorry. I, I just you know that's just the way I am. Some people blow their money, you know, they go to the beach or something. Yep. I ain't going to the beach to get a sunburn. If I'm gonna get a burn, it's gonna be a powder burn. Okay. <laughs> I, I I every time I drive by the beach, you know, I go to some place, I'm like, you know how many firearms that guy could have had? No, he got suckered into going to the beach. What he should have done is sent his sister-in-law to the beach with his wife, saved the sunburn, and he could have bought two or three new guns.
1: And if they were gone long enough, maybe even four. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So, I don't know. I know I got a strange view of the world, but we better leave before I say something even dumber than I probably already have. But man, I don't know. I think you're you're spitting wisdom now. Yeah, I bet you if I ran on a platform of, you know, guns like in, every, gun in safe, every safe, yep, I'd probably get elected in a state like Montana. You could. Yep. Heaven forbid. May, that would maybe happen. not city council in Bozeman or anything. No, but. not city council in Bozeman. <laughs> I mean, that's the guy who shot the neighbor's chicken. <laughs> he hunts
1: wolves. We can't vote for him. Oh, but, that's right. Oh, gosh. Anyhow, we better okay, let so him you go get, first. You get down there and pick up your new firearm. I am. I got to... I, 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 you can tell I got a big smile here. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I can't believe you're still talking. I would have just dropped the headset and walked out already. But All right. I'm going to do that. Thanks for being All here, right. folks. <laughs> yep. We'll catch you on the next one.